So today's candle is the candle of hope. Oh, middle school and high school, you can go to your class. Have a great day. And I hope to see you all back tonight. You guys may not realize it, but uh, two of them, their very first service they ever came was last year on Christmas Eve. So it's a bit of an anniversary for us. Thanks for sticking around for a year, guys. Um, somebody invited them on Christmas Eve. They came, and then we're like, eh, why not? We might as well go to church for our senior year of high school. So they've stuck around, and I enjoy it. So today is the candle of hope, and we have to ask ourselves this. What is hope? We have these ideas, these concepts. Sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's imagined. Sometimes it's perception. So as I often do before I even begin any message, as I look at a dictionary and I I pick my key word, my key theme, and then I try to understand the definition so that I understand where we're coming from, knowing that the way you define something and the way I define something can be very different because your experience and my experience are very different. Some of you have been in the military. I never have. My brother-in-law is a career man, and he'll talk about certain things, and he'll use certain terminology, and I'll say, wait, what does that actually mean? I'll go, oh, that just means this. So when we're talking about we're going to walk a distance, he always talks in clicks. I'm like, now I know how much a click is. It's a mile. Why can't you just say a mile? We both know that that's what that means. And sometimes if we don't understand, or we don't have the same lingo, or we don't have the same thing, I may say hope, and you may not even see it the same as what I do. So hope defined is this. It's the, the noun is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. The verb is this, to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. I love the last part of that. Reasonable confidence. Desire is one thing. Confidence that's going to happen is a whole different thing. True hope isn't just I want this. It's belief that it will happen. And so today as we talk about hope, I want you to understand in your mind, I'm not just talking about something I want. I want you to understand that it's with reasonable confidence that I know that this will occur. It's a subtle difference, but it's a difference between going, well, I believe this, and maybe, and yes, this is going to happen. The maybe versus the knowing And that's a beautiful place. So we put our hope in many things. We really do. Some are good. Some are bad. Um, Some are going to be there and some are going to fail. But we put our hopes in our family, put our hope in our job, maybe how much wealth we have. We put our hope maybe in our faith or in our church. We put our hope in our children or our political party. We put our hope in having somebody else solve the problem or everybody else getting out of my way so I can solve it. We put our hope in different things. But however, hope has to be more than that. Hope is a reasonable confidence that the doctors can work on this problem you have. They're going to find the problem, they're going to heal the problem, you're going to move forward. With reasonable confidence, we go to the doctor believing that. Hope is reasonably believing that we can get over the addiction this time. It's held me back or it's held my family member back, but I believe that they can find that freedom. Hope is a light in the darkness. It's life in a barren womb. It's promises that are yet to be fulfilled, but it's promises that are to be fulfilled that I have reasonable confidence to believe God's going to see those through. 
Too often times we have the idea that, well, I believe God could do this. That's not the same as believing that God will do this. Too often times we're okay because we think it's hope if I just go, well, if I can just make it another week. Making it another week is great, but God looks and says, I have so much more for you than just one more week. Too often times we hold on to the minimalist view. And I want us to see the bigger view, that hope goes beyond today and beyond tomorrow, and hope goes beyond our short, simple little lifespan on this planet. I've used this analogy many times, but it's one of my favorites, and that is the, the goal of, a, of an apple. The goal of an apple is not to be eaten, in case you thought it was. The goal of an apple is not an apple tree. The goal of an apple, from the moment it was started as a blossom, was to become an orchard. Because it has all the potential to cover most of the surface of the earth that has growable space with other apple trees, which will give you more apples, which will continue to reproduce and, and go and go and go. So the goal of an apple is not simply to produce, you know, the fruit that it is. The goal of the apple is to produce so much more. The seed of hope is not just to get you through today. It's to help you find a lifetime of believing and expectation in who Jesus is, what he said he was going to do, and how that moves us forward in him. So Isaiah chapter 9 is where our text comes from today. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Starting at verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily compressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. How many of you have ever felt like your life was in darkness? How many of you ever felt like you were maybe physically or at least emotionally close to death? Isn't it beautiful that he says those who have experienced that are going to see the light. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Hope is that light in the midst of darkness. It's that breath when we are afraid it might be our last one. It's that overcoming of the thing that has held us back, that has held us captive, that has held us prisoner. It's learning to escape that. And too often times, we don't view our hope as that. We view our hope as what we can do, what we can attain, and what will protect us and defend us. Again, 
If you know me at all, I'm a person who says, you should plan for the future. I make plans for the future all the time. Every month, out of my paycheck, comes a $400 plan for the future. And I put that in my retirement account, and I hope that the stock market doesn't crash this week. I make plans for my future, and I do my part. At the same time, I know that my hope doesn't rely on or rest in what I'm able to put aside each month. My hope rests in who God is and the fact that he's made promises in my life that I believe he's going to see me through. So here's a few things that our text tells us. Number one, gloom will be upon her. There are times in our life that are going to be dark. But you can't appreciate light until you've experienced darkness. When I was a youth pastor in San Diego, we went to these caves one time with our youth group. Did a little tour of these caves, and you crawl through, and they take you into this one room, and then you're, you're wearing these little headlamps, and then they, all at once, they tell everyone, turn off your headlamp. And it's the darkest darkness I've ever experienced. I loved it. I'd like to sleep in a cave if I could each night and then emerge to the light. But it's so dark that the person standing next to you, you hear them breathing and they keep bumping into you, but you literally can't see them. And they're close enough to bump into you and you can't see them. Some of us have experienced that kind of darkness in our life. We get the news that we have cancer. Your spouse is leaving. You've lost your job. You don't know where your next paycheck is coming from or how you're going to pay for groceries this week for your kids. Some of us have experienced that kind of darkness, metaphorically, that feels like it's going to take our breath away. But Isaiah tells us it's from that darkness that we see the great light in verse 2. Until you've known that darkness, you can't know the beauty of what the light is. It's easy to look out at a sunset and take the picture and make little heart hands and do all those things and then post it on social media because you know what? Tomorrow the sun's going to come up. But if that's your last sunset and you knew the sun wasn't coming out tomorrow, what are you going to do? And yet when the sun comes up the next day, most of us don't even think about it. It's just part of what we do. And what he's saying is, once you've been in that kind of darkness and you experience the sunrise the next day, it's greater joy than you could possibly know. It tells us the harvest will be plentiful, which is significant for those of you who have grown up in the farm world. I remember years where the, the funny thing about farming is all spring they need it to dry out, then they get their crops in the field, and then all they talk about is when is it going to rain again. And so we go from needing no rain to getting our crop in to needing rain to needing the rain to hold off so we can harvest to wanting more rain so that the soil's ready for the next year. And it's a it's a funny thing because they say farming is entirely about timing. Because if you time things right, you can do very well as a farmer 
And if the weather doesn't cooperate or you don't time things right, you're bust in a single season. It talks about a plentiful harvest. A time when things aren't going to seem so desperate. A time when life doesn't seem to trap us and make us feel alone and isolated. A time when we have freedom and peace within our heart. That's what hope gives you. It takes away that feeling of, is this going to be it? Is this the last thing? And gives us that place of, oh yeah, tomorrow's a new day. And if I need rain, it's going to rain. And if I don't, that's okay too. Because the sun is going to rise tomorrow. And when we're stuck in a world that's hopeless, when we're stuck in a place where we don't understand it, then it always feels like the sunsets just happened the cold's moved in, and I don't know if I'll ever see another sunrise. But see, Jesus came as promised because he wants more for you. He doesn't want you to have to go from dark place to dark place just wondering if you can make it through. He wants you to have that reasonable confidence that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Verse 5 says, there's no longer a need to fight. Verse 6 tells us Christ will be the fulfillment of everything we need. Here's a few things the text doesn't say. It doesn't say life will be without darkness. Hebrews 11, which is considered the, the faith chapter, lists all our faith heroes, and then it goes on. Most people love to get through the story of Moses and the story of Abraham, and they love to get through the story of David, but they forget the end of that chapter. It says, except there'll be those who are sawn in half, those who are stoned, those who are killed, those who are executed. Oh yeah, they're heroes of the faith too, and you'll never know their name. We don't like that part because we don't want to be those. We want to be the guy who they write a nice story about, and 2,000 years later, 6,000 years later, 10,000 years later, people are still reading about my story. Nobody wants to be that unknown guy, and yet even in the midst of it, there's still hope. Because it says they hold on to their faith in spite of what they faced doesn't say that we'll never face storms. Paul was shipwrecked, snake-bitten, beaten, jailed, and eventually executed because of his faith. And he's one of the guys we call a hero of the faith. Most of the disciples, though we don't have exact stories, but most we know, went and were executed. According to tradition, the only one who didn't die the death of a martyr was John who's also the only one who went to the crucifixion. The rest die as martyrs. And yet, it seems like they were guys of faith. They walked with Jesus for three years, denied him, doubted him, cursed at him, cut off people's ears, you know, just your normal basic Christians. And then, uh, and then they decided, oh man, there's maybe something to this, and began to walk it. And then they get executed. And you're like, wait, no, 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 that can't be right. Because they did everything right, so everything should end up good for them. What's funny is, it doesn't say they denied their hope or they let go of their faith. There are still wounds in battle, sometimes from those we sit with in the church. Sometimes the people around us do the greatest wounding. Doesn't mean that hope is not present. Hope makes faith palatable. Faith is believing in something that I can't see and I can't control. But hope gives me a reason for that faith. 
The reason I need to hold on to that faith is I have hope that no matter what occurs, what God said is still true. That I don't have to be influenced by my circumstances today or tomorrow. I don't have to be, you know, super Christian because I put my lights on my tree and then next month, well, now there's nothing to look forward to. But because of who he is, my hope continues to move me forward. And that's a beautiful picture. So how do I hold on to hope when my life seems empty and bleak? Again, hope doesn't mean we have no trials. It means that no matter what the trial is, I can keep moving forward. No matter what the challenge is, I can overcome it. No matter what the obstacle is, he's faithful, will I continue to follow? Those are all questions that you can't necessarily know until that moment where it's challenged. Until that time where we need to try to overcome. That's when you'll know whether or not it's real. See, I'd like to say, oh, it's going to be all good for you. That if you'll just believe, there won't be a challenge. If you'll just believe, everything goes the way you want it. Just even look at your life three years, five years, ten years ago. Maybe it's not what you thought it would be today. Six years ago, I didn't know I'd be here. Six years ago, I hadn't even been asked if I wanted to be a pastor. I was with Tracy. We lived in Iowa. She hated it because it was cold. And we started talking about what's next for us. What does God have next for us? Not because we were afraid, not because we were defeated, not because we had to get something better, but because our hope was that he was going to see us through every circumstance and every situation. And though it was a tough time that we were there, we never gave up hope for what could be. The hope of what he had promised that our lives together could be and what it would look like for us and for our family and for our kids. And since I moved here, it's been great, but it hasn't been perfect. Look around, there's people on our left and our right that used to attend church with us that don't anymore. It's because I'm here. I get that. I know that. Someone told me a long time ago, doesn't matter who the pastor is, doesn't matter if Billy Graham walks in and pastors that church, somebody's going to leave. Jesus himself could come in, and chances are somebody wouldn't like the way he said things, and they'd go. And once you grasp that concept, it makes it a whole lot easier to go, well, I guess they got to go. We want to make it about us. I want to make it about me. I want to say, people are here because they like me and people leave because they don't. And you know what? I got people that are here that don't like me. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? But they feel they're called here or they're committed here. That's great. I say all the time, we don't have to agree. We can worship together and not necessarily feel the same way about some basic Bible passages. As long as you can agree to the four adherents that I say I can't compromise on, Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our healer. Jesus Christ is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is coming back. I can't say when. I don't even try. I don't have a mathematical formula. 
Stop following those who do, because they're guessing too. Jesus even says himself, no one knows the time or the date except for the Father. He didn't go, God and I, we got this secret time and date. He goes, no one except for the Father. But as long as we can agree to those things, then come out. We don't have to agree whether or not Job is allegorical or Job is literal. We don't have to agree whether or not it's even possible for a, a giant fish to swallow Jonah, and it never says a whale, it says a giant fish. Okay, that's fine. Go with your theory. Go with your opinions. We can still worship together. There's people who say, we shouldn't sing so much. It's a distraction. There's people who go, why do you talk so long? Why don't we sing three more songs every week? (laughs) The music's too loud. I can barely hear the people that are singing. I've heard both in the very same Sunday. You use too much scripture, Jeff, you lose the people. Jeff, why don't you ever use the word of God? Heard both in the same Sunday. Literally, both of those are true. Both those statements I just made. You know what? We don't have to agree on everything. We should do more outreach, Jeff. That's great. What do you have in mind? I don't know. I'm busy. Why don't you go do more outreach? Okay. Why are we sending so much money to foreign countries when we have needs all around us? Oh, what needs are you seeing that you'd like us to work with? Well, I don't know. But there's needs all around us. Yes. (laughs) And your point, Jesus literally says, the poor will be with you always. So now that we can both agree that Scripture's true, what's your point? It's not, uh, this is the perfect thing. I've oftentimes heard people say, oh, I go to the perfect church, and I'm like, no, you don't. You know how I know you don't? A, it's not mine. No, I'm kidding. Uh, A, you're dealing with people, and B, people, people are the worst. (laughs) I don't know if you know that, but of all the creatures on earth, humans sin more than anything else. You rarely find a horse that sins. It lopes, it gallops, it trots. Sin not in that list. People are the sinners, which means you won't find a perfect church. You won't find a perfect pastor. You won't find the one that's, you might find the one that's right for you, which is great. I want you to find the one that's right for you. But are you willing to sacrifice and do what it takes to make that relationship continue? Because, and I say that because of this, that person, that pastor, they should be growing and learning and sometimes even questioning what they've believed. I look back at what I taught 25 years ago, and I'm like, oh man, I just hope those kids that I taught then don't hate me when they grow up and realize, man, he didn't know what he was talking about. Because you know what? I'm going to grow, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to discover, but Jesus is the same. It says it right up there. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, because of that, That's why I can put my hope in him. I can't put my hope in myself. I can't put my hope in the people that I follow. I can't put my hope in this congregation. But what I can do is learn to love the people on my left and and my right. I can learn to trust people in here. Does that mean that trust will never be violated? No. And it sometimes hurts when they violate that. But my hope is in Jesus. 
And I've heard many times over, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I don't trust the church anymore because this happened. And I want to say, yeah, I don't trust the church either. But my trust isn't supposed to be in the church. My hope is in the church. And the longer I spend with this congregation, the more I learn to trust you. Just as when I first came here, I said, I don't expect you to trust me as your pastor. They say before you trust someone, it takes five years. I've just now been here five years. And most of you haven't been with me for five years. So do I expect you to blindly follow me? No. But see, you don't have to put your hope in me. You put your hope in God and know that I am with all that I have in me trying to follow him. And we can put our hope in who Jesus is to see us through every situation, every storm, every challenge, and everything we need to overcome. And it's not just because I say it, because Isaiah says it 2,000 years before Jesus is born, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it an establishment with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever. In other words, Though the church in America is disappearing, and though less and less people are committed to it or even follow it, a remnant will remain. And if you're wondering, is this the worst period in the history of the church? No. There was a time shortly after Jesus dies that there were about 60 to 70 avid followers of his in the entire world. Now they put it at somewhere between 1.2 and 2.1 billion people. There's some countries where they can't come forward or they're not known. But almost a third of the world population will call out and follow the name of Jesus. It will get darker, but that doesn't mean there's no hope. Because the beauty is, if you're willing to be the last one on the face of the earth that will still call upon the name of the Lord, and still be identified and recognized as one who follows Jesus, then there's hope. There's hope because in spite of what goes on around us, in spite of the world and in spite of all of that, if I'm willing to put my faith in him, then I can have my hope in who he is. So finally, the final question I ask is, what if the Christian life feels empty? What if what I'm doing feels meaningless? Hope doesn't necessarily address your feeling, but hope gives us a completion of the promise, the fulfillment of anticipation. Sometimes we're looking for an emotional something, and when that's what we're chasing, we're always going to feel like it's not enough, because it's going to be enough for a while, but then that goes away. That's why I say I love the Holy Spirit and the way he moves, but it can't be about the gifts he gives because the moment it becomes about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, when the church becomes just about the gifts, then we miss the very point of why he came, which was to empower us to reach the world as he convicts people of their sin. Sometimes the Christian life doesn't feel as fulfilling as I wish it did. And I hear some pastors speak and some people speak and I go, 
Man, I, I admire them if they can keep believing that. But how do you believe that in the midst of storms? And in the midst of storms, just because the boat's sinking doesn't mean I don't have hope. But I'm also a realist enough to say, hey, this boat's sinking. And I'm starting to get wet. So if I can answer that question, what do I do when the Christian life feels empty? It's this. Double down and believe it. Believe what it says. Doesn't say all your problems go away. Doesn't say I'm always going to feel happy. I talked, you know, just three weeks ago about joy being a choice, not a feeling. And press in in your faith. Just press in, press in, press in. Because hope is there when we look for it. Hope is there. It's not a feeling, but it's there. And hope is that light in the darkness. Because Jesus did what he said he was going to do, and he's consistent with that. You know, you always want, I want every message to end on this super exciting thing, but sometimes I just need to let something sit there so that you can think about it. Know that no matter what you face, hope is still an option. So tonight, we have a service, and um, it's our annual Christmas Eve Eve service, and every year I give a gift. So in this box is a gift I'm going to pass out tonight. Every year, somebody's not going to be here, and they ask me if they can either have it early or what it is, and I always go, no, and you have to wait and see. But in this box is a gift. It's a small gift. It'll go along with kind of the brief message I give tonight. But that message tonight, as it is every year on Christmas Eve, is why did Jesus have to come to earth? Because we love the story of him coming as a baby, but there's churches that have completely eliminated the crucifixion because it's barbaric. And I'm here to tell you, it's absolutely barbaric. That was the very intention of it. But there's a gift in here for you. And it's with hope and anticipation that I want you to show up tonight. I want you to show up tonight, and I want you to get your small gift, and I want you to walk out inspired. So this morning, I want you to walk out challenged and wondering, can I make it through this Christian life? Because sometimes it feels empty. And I want to hear, tell you today, you can. Not because of some catchy thing I say, but because of hope. Because of the hope that he gives you. Because he is that light in the darkness. And though you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear. We have faced death and not been found in trouble. We've been found confident in our facing of that. So I hope that you'll come out tonight I hope that you'll celebrate the birth of Christ with me. I hope that you'll take this gift that may be broken. It sounds awfully rattly. And uh, I hope that you'll take it and that as you walk out and throughout this year, throughout this year, it'll serve as a reminder that the promise has been fulfilled, but that hope is still to come. Because your promise of a Savior has been fulfilled and the hope is what gets us through.
tomorrow and next week and next month. And that's a beautiful picture, my friends. So hope you can join us tonight. Service begins at 7. It usually fills up. Do not use that as your excuse to stay home. I want it to fill up. I've added extra seats even just to make sure that we have enough space for everyone. And I want you to bring someone and include someone because they say the two biggest times of the year that people will visit a church are Christmas and Easter because they're interested in something spiritual and they see it all around them and they're, maybe they miss it because they grew up with it or maybe they're curious because they want to discover what it means. But let's not miss an opportunity to bring and include those who need to hear this message. Father God, I thank you for the people of Gathering Place. God, I thank you that long before we knew it, you took individual people that had different desires, hopes, dreams, plans, thoughts, and you brought them together to form this congregation. And even in the midst of us being an imperfect church, we serve a perfect God who has an incredible plan for us. God, I pray that we would see you and know you more. I pray that we would understand who you are at a deeper level. And I pray, Father God, that each of us would walk out of here knowing that the Christian life isn't always, doesn't always feel a certain way, but it doesn't mean that there's not hope. And that our hope doesn't lie in what we have or what we accomplish or who we are, but our hope lies in you. And God, let that be the thing that challenges and changes us. In your name, amen. Again, I am glad you are here. I'm glad you're a part of our church. Um, Know that uh, you are valued and loved, and I would love to see you tonight, but that does not affect my love for you. So have a great day, and we'll see you back tonight, hopefully.
joy to the world the Lord is come let earth receive her heaven and nature sing let heaven and nature sing let heaven let heaven and nature sing silent night holy So 